Dog and the Mallow in the morning. Hello and welcome to They Made Another One, a.k.a. Sea Dog and Mallow in the Morning. Where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Sea Dog. And I'm your other host, The Mallow. Nice, dude. And um, for anybody wondering, hey, what the fuck was that? Uh, we're very excited to tell you. Um, so we have a, a dear friend of the show named Jason DeLine. And what he has done for us with his incredible acting talent and prowess is craft a series of custom-made, tailored to They Made Another One soundboard buttons which we now have on this nice virtual layout. So at any given time, we can trigger any number of exciting They Made Another One sounds. We can take a trip down memory lane, including things like Animal Month. Everybody remembers Animal Month, right, Liam? Oh, dude, I can never forget Animal Month. You know what it makes me think of, Corey? What does it make you think of? Why don't you press the button that it makes me think of? Clancy Brown strikes again. Was that the right button to press? That's exactly. Oh my right. god! I'm gonna I'm gonna level with you. I was nervous. I was gonna hit the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> you just like you totally choke up and you press. Uh, finish him, Carol Ann. <laughs> um, I was I I yeah. I mean, there's a lot of folks. There's a lot of buttons on this screen, and I can make infinite pages of them. So. You're going to be hearing a lot more Jason in your future. And to Jason, thank you very much for this offer. And thank you for getting in on bringing uh, a bit of a professional flair and also a morning drive talk radio intro to the program. And uh, anybody who might hear a bit of a whirring sound in the background, that's just my laptop fan because it's running a lot of things. And the professionalism that comes with the soundboard also comes with the responsibility of not making my computer overheat. And that's something we'll sort of figure out as time kind of goes on. But for now, we are doing pretty good. And now at any given time, I can just hear somebody say something that I think is insightful and then just say, you know what? You're right. It's so subversive. And we can just sort of keep talking. So welcome to the party, folks. Season two is the soundboard era of They Made Another One. And uh, eventually... We'll have so many recurring jokes that we'll be able to fill another soundboard. And then we can do an episode just about our new soundboard. I'm willing to bet another soundboard. We can do enough bits where we will have an episode that's nothing but hitting the soundboard. We won't even have to talk. We can purely outsource the content of the show into custom-made, pre-cut soundboard buttons. Yeah, it's like how like the 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 Garfield dude just has written so many punchlines. Yeah, so they could just they can just zombify the new Garfield strips and, yeah. and put them together. At this and point, it, it seems like he's there. You could reverse engineer new bits out of the shriveled husk of Garfield for centuries, and people would never really know. That's what we're trying to do with podcasts. We're the shriveled Garfield husk of podcasts. We need to get a soundbite of uh, Jason saying that. We do. Look, we're already crafting new bits. We're we're extremely on top of our game right now. And um, another big change, I think, coming in season two, this is maybe not something we consciously chose to do, but maybe we'll end up doing more animated movies. This today is certainly a start. And I feel like I always have this responsibility and dare I say burden. So, Liam, what are we watching this week? We are watching the 2020 film Fresh Off the Presses 
not as fresh as Dr. Sleep or Invisible Man was at the time. But nothing is really fresh nowadays, is it? We can't go out to theaters all that much. Stuff just gets uh, shipped to your house, and by that point, it's stale. So it's it's a sort of fresh movie. That's bleak. <laughs> called Scoob, with an exclamation point. Is this the first time it- we felt seen by the title of a movie that we're doing? Because it is on the same page. It recognizes that punctuation is important in the title of a program. That's right. And that's why, despite how I feel about this movie, I, I have wow. to always give it the proper respect of pronouncing Hang on. Uh, what do you mean, correct. despite how you feel about this movie? Are you showing or, your hand this early? No, like if I ever decide to not like it, or if I don't wow. like it right now. Wow, you know what? Before. You've convinced me. You definitely like this movie and definitely don't don't like it. And uh, Or like even before I saw the movie, I gotta give it the respect of Scoob! Scoob! And to be honest, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. There's no good reason why it's called that. <laughs> I don't think... Yeah, no. I don't no, think no, no. yelling Scoob factors in any more or less in this than it did in any other kind of Scooby-Doo brand experience. <laughs> you know I think I- it's just... There were only like so... There, there, there's been so many iterations of Scooby-Doo and, uh, and his gang. And so there have been so many different titles. And at some point, I think they just... They picked a title that hadn't been used yet that people would associate with the movie. And then for some reason, they just had to put some flair on it. I know that when this movie was first announced, and I, I can recall when this happened, it was like 2016, 2017. It was called Scoob, all capitals. But instead of an exclamation point... It was some sort of acronym because each letter had a period in between it. Uh, I don't like that. I, yeah, think that I, I think that title is bad because Scoob doesn't stand for anything as far as I'm well, aware. May, yeah, but it very well might have in that version of the script. Maybe that's what it was all about. Supernatural Creatures Oob. <laughs> Do you think it would have been that? It might just be... Maybe it's just like a... It was just a, a sign of the times, a trend at that point, because there was um, R.I.P.D., right? Uh, which yeah, was, which we've talked about previously. <laughs> yeah. And there was um, CHIPS, which the, I believe is they, an acronym. They rebooted The Man from UNCLE. That's right. And uh, around 2016 or so, I read on the Cujo Wikipedia page, uh-huh. I don't know if this is still on there, I read that they were doing a remake of Cujo called Cujo, in cap capital letters and it was called like uh canine undercover juice origins or something it was Ooh, it was super that. it was super weird that and sucks yeah it was it was it was wild well, i don't scoob, know if that's still the plan but scoob you've managed to dodge a bullet by not being an acronym you've already got some positivity points in our book scoob is a movie directed by tony Cervone or potentially Tony Cervoni. Um, I don't know how Italian his name is. And uh, there's a couple different ways you could pronounce it based on how it's spelled. Um, normally he is part of a duo in, along with Spike Brandt. Um, I don't know why Wikipedia, like their Wikipedia page is that of a duo, but then it lists their, their accolades separately. Uh, so I don't know how fully accurate these are, but he also worked on things like the Flintstones in WWE, Stone Age Smackdown, another movie with an exclamation point in the title. Um, Tom and Jerry and the Wizard of Oz. Space Jam. Mm. They weren't like the director of Space Jam or anything, but they worked on it. Um, yes. Space Jam, a title that would have benefited from more punctuation, I think. 
Or that could have been an acronym too. The whole thing. (laughs) The J just stands for Jordan. And that's the only part that's an acronym. There's just two dots around the J. So it's like (laughs) space Jordan jam. Space Jordan. The M M at the end could be Michael. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this movie is, has a lot of writing credits. The screenplay is by um, four people. Um, they wrote in two separate duos, if I remember the credits correctly. There's one guy's name that I just straight up cannot pronounce. Uh, Adam Stiekel? Stiekel? Stickel? I don't know, and I'm sorry. But he worked on movies like uh, Due Date with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach Galifianakis. And then also Jack Donaldson, Derek Elliott, and Matt Lieberman. Matt Lieberman also worked on the story alongside Ail Podel, or Ail Podell, maybe, and Jonathan E. Stewart, who worked on Cars 3 and Angry Birds Movie 2. Edited by Ryan Fulzi and Venara Tang. Music by Tom Hulkenberg, a.k.a. Junkie XL, who did music for the likes of The Dark Tower and Mad Max Fury Road and Alita Battle Angel. And also Sonic the Hedgehog. And now Scoob. Um, This movie's voice cast is just a a minefield of celebrity names. Uh, That's kind of how animated movies are nowadays, man. See, it is. And this is something I was going to mention later, but I may as well just mention it now. I knew this going into the movie, and I immediately forgot. And I didn't recognize pretty much a single one of these. Like, the person didn't start talking, and I went, oh that's Mark Wahlberg or like, Oh, that's fucking Amanda Seyfried. Like my brain just didn't do that. Yeah. Same. Uh, so, same. so there, there were two that I picked out. Other than that, I was blind. Did you pick out Simon Cowell? Cause he was himself. Yep. I recognized Simon Cowell, what was the which other was one? Su- super off putting to me was Simon Cowell. Oh, we'll um, get into how much I hated that. Okay. And, and the other one was, um, uh, Tracy Morgan. Okay, so we recognize the same two voices. Is Tracy yeah. Morgan that iconic that he He's has a more recognizable I... voice than every other person in this movie? Uh, absolutely, yeah. He has. He does have a very recognizable voice. Because, I don't know. It's the way it is. It's unique. I feel like we've seen, like, Ken Jeong in enough stuff that I feel like I should have been able to recognize that that was him and I just didn't. I suppose. I mean, he does a dumb voice a lot of the times. And, yeah. Uh, and in this, but, he wasn't doing that dumb voice. How about this? Mark Wahlberg's a pretty famous guy. Mark Wahlberg, really quick, sucks. He's not a good dude, but he's very famous. Feel like maybe I should have been able to pick up Mark Wahlberg's voice. Oh, only if he's singing with the Funky Bunch would I recognize him. I don't watch Mark Wahlberg movies. They never, they never interest me, really. Yeah, well, and neither did that time. He just sort of indiscriminately beat people in the street so let's let's talk a little bit less about mark Wahlberg and more about the rest of the people in this movie like frank welker that's a classic everybody knows who that is um, oh i guess i recognized him that's I could kind tell of a that gi- was, i guess that's that kind of a given yeah. yeah um will forte um these are not mm-hmm. in an order that is conducive to me reading all of the mystery machine people together uh gina rodriguez amanda seyfried that rounds out our uh our mystery machine gang mystery inc and then we have young versions of them played by ian armitage and ariana greenblatt and pierce uh gagno and mckenna grace and then we have jason isaacs 
as Dick Dastardly, and we have the aforementioned Mark Wahlberg as the large adult son of the uh, Brian, which is a very funny bit. Uh, Kiersey Clemens, Ken Jeong as mentioned, Tracy Morgan, Billy West, Simon Cowell as mentioned, Henry Winkler has a small role, and I did not notice that that's who that was even remotely. <laughs> and then there's a few other smaller bits from the likes of Christina Hendricks, Justina Machado, John McDaniel, and Fred Tatasior. That's not everybody, but the the list was getting kind of long, and a lot of them are fairly small. So I had to draw the line somewhere. You can, IMDb exists. You can do it, everybody, if you really want to know who I left off this list. But uh, star-studded. And I guess that, like you're saying, that's kind of commonplace at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um... You know, Angry Birds movie, Emoji movie. It's just well, who are the casts of those? Have you seen those? I haven't seen them, but I've I've read their casts. Who's the most famous person in the Angry Birds movie? Andy Samberg. He's in there. Oh yeah. Oh, who's the most famous person in the Emoji movie? Patrick Stewart. Fair enough. Okay, fair play. People know who Patrick Stewart is. And now, we've proven it, people. That that's how you know that uh, animated movies have all star casts now. Is those two people specifically? <laughs> Well, a very specific kind of animated movie, which is like the big tentpole studio family movie that all have, um, all like typically it's reserved for like the three D ones, um, like your your Disney, your Pixar, your, I guess this is Warner Brothers, um, like the big this is the summer family film you get a lot of the big uh the big names come out to uh to to play with that and i don't know why that is i don't know why they feel like they need to do that do you think it's like a compulsive thing i i honestly can't figure it out because kids aren't really going to to watch i don't know if they care who the voices are so it's just for the it's got to just be for the poster because um we didn't recognize any of the voices in there. Like they're not particularly unique voices, you know? No, it's it's one of those things where it does feel like it's maybe a bit just kind of for name recognition, but like, I feel like that only works if they also have like in movie recognition. And maybe we're the only two people that didn't put this together. But like, I do feel like something was pretty, pretty genuinely lacking from that. It's, it's, I guess maybe like, yeah, promotion, not just in putting their names on a poster, but also it means that these people whose uh, faces are known to the public can do interviews and press trunkets and say that they were in this movie and they're excited about the movie. And so, yeah, but I, but I also think to go see it pandemic or not, how much press would this movie have done? I feel like this is kind of a slam dunk release. You know what I mean? Like people are going to go see this. I think theatrically it would have done a lot better than well, maybe if not, because on VOD, parents who are trapped in their homes right now are just going to find any excuse to get their kids to stop screaming or asking them to do something while they're trying to work from their kitchen. So I imagine that fucking Scoob's probably doing numbers. But like, you know, aside from that, I, I can't I can't figure out why why that would be the case. Yeah, dude, I I don't know. Like, why wasn't Matthew Lillard able to be shaggy again? Why wasn't Matthew no Lillard idea. shaggy? Justice for Matthew Lillard. Um, yeah, truly, dude. I, Will I think, Forte, it sounds like he's doing a shaggy impression. I wasn't super into that. Which is basically just um, a Matthew Lillard impression for all you Matthew Lillard heads out there. 
join us join us in the in the club where we like to watch the movie hackers (laughs) (laughs) and that's all we do we just talk about matthew lillard and watch hackers yeah, we only like Matthew Lillard and Hackers. That's not actually. true. We We're actually purists. we like that one where there's a pool full of souls. Remember that Scooby Doo movie with the pool full of souls? Yeah, the, the Scooby Doo meets the Soul Pool. No, what's it actually called? Uh, is that Thirteen Ghosts? No, it's the live action. It's one of the live action Scooby Doo movies. Oh, monster! Well, if it's one of them, then it's probably Monsters Unleashed. Well, it could it, I guess it would probably be that one. It's either Scoob. Be do. I don't know why I stopped at Scoob. I guess that's why you know it's a good title. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's it's not the first one. What's the first one about? Anyway, this is the part of the podcast where we talk about our experience with Scooby Doo, and what we've established is um, I can't remember what the first live action Scooby Doo movie was about. Um, wait. They go to a Shaggy and Scooby are invited to solve a mystery on a place called Scoop Spooky Island. That sounds sus. I wouldn't go there. Hang on, first movie is the one with the soul pool. Oh, there you go. Um, just just to just to sort of get ahead of that one. Uh, you guys can stop writing all your angry emails now. We've established which live action Scooby Doo movie has the. If, if that's if that's what we're doing, we're getting ahead of it. Then I will concede that Andy Samberg is not in Andy Angry Birds. I totally just made that up. Okay, well, Jason Sudeikis is though. Who's I? One in the same. Yeah, sure. For the sake of argument, for the sake Bill of Bill Hader argument, is in there. Bill Hader's famous. That's not me saying that Jason Sudeikis isn't famous, but Bill Hader's famous for sure. Also, really quick, there's a sentence here that straight up just says, Shaggy discovers a vat of protoplasm containing the souls of those possessed. (laughs) (laughs) That could be like from any movie and I'd want to watch it. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't even read as Scooby-Doo to me. That's like the most metal thing ever. Also, the plot synopsis here, also for a movie we're not supposed to be discussing today, includes this part of a sentence that says, Daphne has undertaken martial arts to avoid kidnappers. Yes. Why is her whole life just avoiding kidnappers? (laughs) So... I'll I'll get out there and say that I don't like those live action Scooby Doo movies, but these excerpts you're reading to me does make me want to watch them again. Um, I uh, it works well in bite sized pieces. Yeah, so I guess I was gonna ask sort of what your history with Scooby Doo is, and I know that that might not start with the live action movies, but let's start with the live action movies and work backwards. Yeah, sure. So uh, the live action ones, I saw them when they came out. I can remember the first one being advertised, and I remember being excited for the second one so i saw both of them at the time and i i liked them just fine they weren't um i mean i probably liked them a lot honestly but the reason i say that i liked them just fine was they weren't uh the sandlot or leave it to beaver where i was watching it repeatedly and as i've grown older and thought about them um they they haven't really stuck with me a whole lot and that was curious to me um, as recently as a few years ago, I was thinking about the Scooby-Doo movies and the fact that they were done by James Gunn, who has now done movies that I like, like Slither and uh, Super. And I was thinking, hey, maybe I, uh, I'm, I'm, I should be giving these Scooby-Doo movies more credit. Um, people talk about them a bit online, too, and say that the live-action Scooby-Doo movies, like low-key are cult cult classics and they kick ass. So I went back and I watched both of them and, man, when? I didn't like them at all probably two three years ago okay cool yeah i didn't didn't like them um i just think the scooby-doo 
uh, idea just doesn't really translate to live action. Like I like a lot of those actors like Freddie Prince Jr., Matthew Lillard, uh, Holy shit, Linda Cardellini, Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's honestly a stacked cast. Yeah, speaking um, of all-star casting, casts. Yeah, I think the casting is really good, but it's just, it it comes across as awkward to me. Um, Pamela Anderson? Yeah, there you go. And and there are certainly, there are jokes in both those movies that are clever and um, sort of turn the Scooby-Doo thing on its head and, and make fun of stuff that's established in the franchise. And I like that because... I don't think it really works when you play it super straight. And I think James Gunn was planning to play it a lot less straight than the studio ended up making him uh, do it, from what I've heard. I I think when it was written, it was supposed to be rated R. Um, I don't remember those movies playing it that straight. There's a pool of souls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the pool of souls is played pretty straight. I guess maybe I I misphrased kind of what I meant. I, I don't remember it taking itself seriously. Is more what I mean. I mean, that's fair. But then the stuff that doesn't take itself seriously is like super sophomoric and not funny to me. Like it's fart jokes and it's just like I'm, I'm not into it. So would you say that when it comes to Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo Monsters Unleashed, it would be fair to say that Liam hates it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That'd be fair. Look, man, we got to get all the miles we can out of this soundboard. Jason put a lot yeah. of work into this. Yeah. In, until we until we get a button that's like Liam isn't super fond of it, I'll, I'll say that I hate it for sure. But the, the twist at the end of, I think it's Scooby-Doo 2, maybe Scooby-Doo 1, where um, it turns out that Scrappy-Doo has been the mastermind behind everything. That's I think Scooby-Doo that is, 1, yeah. I, I think that's so fucking funny. I think that's a great ending. And uh, and I, I like that sort of joke that it's um, it's kind of commenting on the Scooby-Doo franchise and it's not taking itself seriously. Then but you should also... fucking love Scoob. Then I would love Scoob? You should be head over heels for Scoob. <laughs> well, uh, I guess we'll see. But yeah, so those two um, movies, uh, not super into them. What about you? Um, I don't remember them very well, clearly, based on the conversation we've been having for the last five minutes or so. Um, I remember liking them fine, watching them plenty growing up. Um, I've got really vivid, like, some of the images from that movie are seared into my brain. Uh, namely, one of the monsters, like, getting attacked by sunlight and just, like, disintegrating into ash, uh, is pretty gnarly. Um... I remember, I don't know, I think Daphne maybe kicked somebody in a very ornate hallway. <laughs> like, yeah, I, and then, <laughs> yeah, she kicks a dude also, like, through a trap door. There's a big muscular guy, yeah. and he's holding on to the trap door, and she boots him down. Yeah, so I remember some specific stuff from the movies, and like we've said, great cast, but um, I don't know if I would say they're near and dear to me or anything. Uh, they were good entertainment when I was a kid similar to what i was going to say about the uh the cartoon um both the original run of the cartoon and the uh updates to the cartoon that had that similar style um i always forget the name of this one and i end up just saying scooby-doo versus the cyber chase which i know is not what it's called because cyber chase is a different pbs animated tv show but uh um, right yeah that one's pretty fucking cool. I, I remember that, that one, one a lot. Is sick. I remember when that premiered on TV. My friends and I. Do you all remember got what it's called? We were so stoked. Yeah, I think it's just Scooby Doo and the Cyber Chase. It's no way. It's literally Cyber Chase. Oh my god! I've been getting it right this whole time. I thought I was I getting this title wrong for years. 
<laughs> I really did. Every time you said it in a group of friends, you were like, why isn't everyone laughing at me right now? I just fucked that up. Well, stupid, I, stupid. I swear the other day, Keiki corrected me about it. Damn. But, well, let's get this on record. Get it, Keiki. Hang on. But I don't want to I don't want to throw stones in a glass house. Maybe I did say a different thing the other day. <laughs> Maybe well, I'm just think, an idiot. I think 20 seconds ago you said Scooby-Doo versus the cyber chase. But I that's did. pretty close. But I knew versus wouldn't be it. Also, I am seeing that there's a movie here um, from 2008 called Scooby-Doo and the Goblin King. <laughs> that sounds tight mm. as shit. <laughs> I don't know that one, but it sounds good. Yeah, they're all Scooby-Doo and the... Oh, the Alien Invaders one fucking slaps. That movie rips. Oh, I just saw that for the first time last year. Holy because, shit, um, I remember that one kicking ass. True, yeah. Alien Invaders I saw for the first time uh, about a year ago because my girlfriend grew up loving it, and it it does slap. It fits right in there. I'm seeing the chronology now is for the direct-to-video films, Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, Witch's Ghost, Cyber Chase, and right before Cyber Chase is Alien Invaders. So I'll tell you right now that all four of those kick ass. I love, love every single one of those. Yeah, I, I remember those super vividly. Um, far more than like the original TV show itself, which I saw plenty of, and I could see like calls to in Scoob. But um, when I think about Scooby Doo, I think about these, probably because we grew up with them. But that's what I think about for sure. And I think my fondest Scooby Doo related memories are of these. But um, it's not something I go back to all the time, really. So. Uh, I don't know if I would say that like Scooby-Doo looms large in my history or anything, but I definitely can fucking get down with some Scooby-Doo. Yeah, I, uh, I'm with you in that those movies um, are what I think of when I think of Scooby-Doo, particularly Zombie Island. Um, I fucked with the witch's ghost a lot as well, but Zombie Island, Zombie Island, dude, just goes so hard, and it is absolutely iconic. I love it so much. We'll get to Z- Return to Zombie Island, which just came out last year, and we'll talk more about it there, I guess. But Zombie Island is huge for me. Um, and in terms of other Scooby-Doo, you know, I, su- I saw this stuff on TV, and I just love the idea of Scooby-Doo. I think it's just... There's a reason it's gone on for 50 years now. It's just an absolutely killer premise um it's so much fun and so scooby-doo where are you episodes i've seen a good chunk of those i like them um i can remember watching uh scooby-doo and scrappy-doo on tv i don't know why that was rerunning in the early 2000s because it's from the late 70s and people don't like scrappy-doo but it was there because scrappy-doo's a bitch that's right i'm gonna call you out scrappy-doo i could beat the shit out of you yeah if scrappy-doo challenged me to a fight and he doesn't have the the weird roid rage magic that he had in the scooby-doo live action movie i would beat the hell out of scrappy-doo there's not that many physical uh there's not that many fictional characters not physical characters fictional characters that i think i could physically fight but scrappy-doo is up there for sure his name is a fucking lie yeah that's well that's I why would they go had to town to, on scrappy-doo 
That's why they had to make him the backdoor villain to uh, the first Scooby-Doo movie. They couldn't have it the entire time because people would be like, Scrappy-Doo is at the head of this organization. I could kick his ass. It's the same reason that uh, <laughs> that a lot of people aren't scared of like movies where kids are the villain, like Pet Cemetery. Because like, I've, I've I it's just like, I would just punt him across the room. And so that's to- totally fair. Is this a real thing that you hear about movies with kid villains? Is yeah partic- the, pe- the people part- in your life just go I- i'd kick the shit out of a kid yeah particularly my favorite podcaster um formerly of my favorite podcast horror movie podcast his name is jason piles and he is uh infamous for not really being able to get down with the chucky movies or killer kid movies or doll movies because like he could beat up a kid but doesn't, just but don't the chucky movies kind of prove hey actually wait first of all how is this not your favorite podcast? How are you not your own favorite podcast host or even me? That seems a little uncool to your brand. B, I think Chucky kind of proves that he can clearly kind of fuck a real live human person up. Like, the well, movies are proof of concept, right? <laughs> I think, like, really every one of these movies is proof of concept because uh, the villain in, in these movies, like a killer kid movie kills some people and so it's scary and it's proving that kids can do it but if you're not able to get on board with it then you're not and uh jason piles thinks that even though chucky can fuck up five people in a movie uh if it came to jason piles versus chucky jason would win what if chucky could turn into a scorpion robot with chainsaws for hands then uh, i would say we'd 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 have a a better movie a more intimidating movie we'd probably have a bit of an issue i think as well and uh, Chucky doesn't do that, but a bunch of tiny, cute robots do that I think are trying to just be this movie's minions. Is it the vibe you got from those tiny, cute robots that they're just kind of minions? Oh, man, I didn't put my finger on it, but I think that's that's very apt. They're, I think they're, they're extremely just minions. Yeah, when the tiny robots show up, I think most people Here, would agree that it's when this movie takes a turn. Here's the thing. They're minions, but they're actually kind of cute and endearing which minions are not <laughs> if yeah. you're telling me that you can't grow emotional attachment to the uh the tiny robot that gets a vacuum for a head you have no fucking heart at all completely soulless anyway do we should we talk about scoop now yeah yeah man uh so so going into it Corey and i we both we both like scooby-doo but uh it's not it's not massive for us but it's cool and we i had ready to go and i had i I had no real expectations. To be honest, yeah. like, th- anything could have happened here. I, I really didn't know what I was in for. I, I'm with you. I, I felt the same way. I remember when this movie was announced, like I said, when it was acronymized. Um, it was going to be a very different movie. It was going to be directed by Dax Shepard, who Ugh. was in Zathura and uh, was in Chips, another acronym movie. So maybe it, it was just his thing. Um, and it, I read at the time that it was going to be rated R. I don't know if hey, that was just... Hollywood. Nobody yeah. wants that. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants that even a little bit. Well, we uh, we got something else instead. So I hope you wanted this, Corey. Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I, I think that we've seen enough proof of concept that uh, just making something gritty does not make it good. Um, that's a lesson you think Warner Brothers would have fucking learned by now with all these fucking Justice League ass movies that they're making that are just like viciously oppressively dark and in service of no real anything other than being dark 
um, to the detriment of pretty much all involved. But that's a different podcast. And also anybody who's in the middle of writing an email about why those movies are good, save your energy. <laughs> write, us a, write us an email about literally anything else. Um, you could write us an email about Scoob, which is a movie that for some reason starts when they are kids and shows us how um, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo meet in uh, one of the most viciously off-putting openings to an animated movie I've seen in a while. <laughs> Uh, I did not like the beginning of this movie. Oh shit! I'm um, surprised. I like, and when I say the beginning, I literally mean like the first few minutes. I just viciously did not like. Um, wow, I-, I loved that first few minutes. <laughs> which, uh, so a-, a quick rundown is so a-, a really quick rundown of a the fullness of the movie is so Shaggy and Scooby Doo meet, and then he meets the rest of the gang. And then they start solving mysteries when they have to get Shaggy's Halloween candy out of a haunted house. And then they're like, oh, I wonder if we're going to make a habit of this. And then they do because humor. And then that motherfucker Simon Cowell, with all of his capitalism money, drives a wedge through our dear friends by saying that Shaggy and Scooby-Doo have no value. And then they spend the movie realizing that Shaggy and Scooby-Doo have value while trying to stop other Hanna-Barbera character Dick Dastardly from stealing the three skulls of cerberus and opening a gate to hell to get mutley back and also a bunch of gold um and along the way the b-plot is about the large adult fail son of superhero the blue falcon brian and his two friends who do all the work and get none of the credit dynamite and Didi, and uh he learns to stop being um lost in the shadow of his dad and uh, less of a whiny baby about it, which I think is cool. Um, There's a very quick rundown. So we start at Venice Beach um, in what is quickly revealed to be modern day because Shaggy is listening to a podcast, uh, which I wasn't expecting. And I'm disappointed it wasn't ours, but you can't win them all. Um, And it starts with Scooby-Doo stealing a bunch of meat from like like a Greek restaurant. Shout out to all my big fat Greek wedding two heads and um, rolling around on it comically while being chased by a cop on a bicycle. And boy, that was annoying. And also the needle drop of California love, like right at the beginning and then just like panning down to Venice Beach. Boy, that was annoying. That whole opening sequence was really annoying. <laughs> Shit. Uh, yeah, I didn't feel that way, man. I I um, I thought it was cute and I also thought it was funny. Um. I mean, we we immediately see like a kid do a five forty big spin in a bowl. Yeah, which is sick. that kid's way too talented. <laughs> <laughs> I want a movie about that kid. <laughs> MVP three. Yeah, and then uh, Shaggy, he's he's trying to pick a song, and they're all about being lonely. That was a funny bit. Thought that was a funny. Was bit. funny, and then it goes to podcast, which is cool. I I, I don't really see podcast movies, and so I liked I liked the the modern infusions in this movie, the modern callbacks um, and references. I liked seeing Scooby and Shaggy meet and, and giving his name to the cop as Scooby Dooby Doo. I thought that was funny. That was um, kind of annoying for me, but I, I get why it would be funny. The, it is extremely funny that this hapless, good for nothing, bad at his job police officer who is doing nothing but bothering people who aren't really doing anything, and he doesn't seem to be that concerned about a talking dog, and maybe he should just go do literally anything else than bother this child. But he says that a dog with a middle name can't be held liable for crime. Yeah, that was so funny. 
which is like and that's it, funny. It is, like, and it's fuck just... cops, but that's funny. I I wanted um I knew that this movie I knew that the opening wasn't going to last long and it was just a, a cute setup before we get to them as adults and so I thought it was I thought it was a cool and um cute interesting way to start your Scooby Doo movie to make it a bit different that we're going to start with Shaggy and Scooby meeting and then go from there and I liked how they blended it into what we know the Scooby Doo characters to be as uh, roughly teenagers um, because the uh, kids go into a spooky looking house um, on Halloween which is cool I mean I love Halloween movies and seeing them go on that first little adventure together I just I thought it was a really suitable origin story um, I love movies where kids are are um, pushed out of their comfort zone and, and they have to do something that makes them uh a bit afraid but makes them grow you know something like um stand by me or uh mean creek you know i i love movies where they liam do that. is talking so, about mean creek again that there's no way really you well didn't do me. that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> i had the point i had the point ready to go um, i thought about that as i was watching it i was i was super into that first 15 minutes and then i loved when the scooby dooby doo theme song slaps and and the montage plays to get us to modern day and you well modern modern day and you get to see uh all their little adventures that they've had while this theme song is playing i thought i thought it was a great way to open the movie yeah like there's stuff about it i liked like when i say the opening i mean literally like the beach part i found annoying (laughs) um it started to grow on me a bit but i reacted really negatively to that california love needle drop and it was kind of downhill from there just because it's so fucking played it's like do literally anything else literally anything um but i realized we're doing this in kind of a weird thing this is this is kind of unusual uh i'm gonna backtrack slash jump forward and do what we normally do on this podcast which is just ask what you thought of the movie generally which i completely forgot to do so liam what did you think about scoob overall before we continue overall i quite like this movie I liked it quite a bit. Um, I think what you said about how I would like Scooby, how I would like Scoob because of my reaction to the Shaggy thing and Scooby Doo, where it's just kind of clever and a nod to uh, the the franchise and like its tricks and tropes and stuff. I think that's what you meant when you said that I would like this movie. Um, yeah, that that's true. My favorite stuff in this movie was uh, was kind of the just the dialogue and um like the humor where where it would call back to uh things that we know about the scooby-doo franchise like like scooby-doo jumping into shaggy's arms or fred loving the mystery machine or like the scooby-dooby-doo middle name um uh at one point daphne says uh shaggy looks like some middle-aged man's idea of how a teenager uh how how he a teenager talks, talks. Like, yeah. that's how shaggy is yeah i thought i thought stuff like that was funny and it came often enough that i was entertained um i liked the art style i liked the the extra characters we get from the hanna barbera universe um the falcon and and uh dynamite yeah, well i mean there's a few other like hanna barbera characters like sprinkled in there for flair as we've established too right like yeah, and and I was a bit worried about that. Um, though I didn't have much expectations going into this movie, and I can recall when the movie started with the California Love needle drop, I thought, okay, I'm gonna try to watch this movie as if 
Uh, I don't know anything about Scooby-Doo and I'm just going in because for a lot of kids, I think this will be their introduction to what Scooby-Doo is. You know, they might have yeah. heard the name or they'll know the dog, but this is like their <laughs> zombie island. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was thinking I'll probably get some enjoyment out of the movie if I just try to take it as a movie and not get bummed that Matthew Lillard isn't in it. And so I was I was able to do that for a whole lot of it. And then everything else, um, whenever I smiled, it kind of it just felt like a nice bonus because I was I had conceded myself to just kind of trying to watch this kid's movie just like a kid. And then the fact that I was smiling a lot felt really nice. I'm a big Hanna-Barbera fan, um, just of a lot of their other cartoons in general and um, just about their business. Which, which like, we've I talked love... about on our Flintstones episode. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I love just reading about uh, that era in cartoon history. Um, Saturday morning cartoons are so fascinating to me. And so I, I thought it was really cool that they brought in other characters. But like I was saying, I was a bit worried about this because it feels a bit Justice league doesn't it? Where, where you're starting uh, off by uh, bringing in characters from, no, it, from different parts. Not really. <laughs> not, not here. Because um, they literally don't become anything beyond like set dressing until the credits where they sort of establish that there's more of a presence there. Like the mere presence of Captain Caveman, a name that I couldn't remember until well into that scene. I racked my brain for a long time trying to remember the name of Captain Caveman. Um, the mere presence isn't enough for me to start rolling my eyes um, because it's not like a team up. Like, he's just kind of there. And if you know who Captain Caveman is, tight. And if you don't, kids are going to be like, sick, a caveman. Like, you know what I mean? So it's kind of different than, like, the conscious team-up movie. So you th- did you think the extra characters felt organic to the story? It was, it was fine. I didn't think about it that much. Like I said, it took me a while to remember that the caveman was, in fact, a pre-existing character. Um, I had to rack my brain to remember who that was. Um, what about Blue Falcon? Is Blue Falcon not or a Dick, new thing? Dick Dastardly? No, dude, no. Blue Blue Falcon and Dick Dastardly. No, you know, oh, Dino. Dick, all those Dick Dastardly. Are. I knew was a thing. I genuinely thought Blue Falcon was a thing they made up for this because kids know what superhero movies are, and they um, wanted to have a superhero in it. <laughs> gotcha. No, no. He's a uh, and for, but I will say the the, the dynamite design looked too familiar for that to not feel like something I knew. But Blue Falcon was a complete blank. Oh, okay. Um, well, there, there there we go. So, no, it didn't feel like that, I guess, because I was uneducated. It's It felt strange um, going into this movie and, and knowing that it wasn't just the Scooby-Doo characters because I knew Dick Dastardly was the villain. Um, I didn't know uh, Dino Mutt would be in this movie, but I knew that our villain was someone from a different property. And so I I figured from the very beginning that this wasn't going to be the Scooby-Doo characters just solving a case. It was going to be more of a celebration of Hanna-Barbera characters. And also and, setting um, up a cinematic universe for later, et cetera, et cetera, because that's what every movie is. That's right. Yeah. So I was a bit, I was a bit weary of that going in, and I do think that's where my uh, my biggest problems with the movie come in. Just because I don't think I I would have liked for the tone of this movie to be a bit less superheroy. 
that um, superhero tone comes from those other characters like Dick Dastardly, who is uh, a bit more super villainy and wacky, and Blue Falcon, who has a very significant part in this movie. But as as I was just watching it and trying to take it as a movie of its own, um, those characters really did work for me. I thought Blue Falcon was super duper funny. I liked that the Scooby gang was was interacting with other characters instead of just the five of them, instead of just the other people in the gang, because I've seen that done so many times. And I thought it was fun to, to make them talk to other people and um, and. Uh, play off those other characters and stuff and so i think this movie was a really really good time i i i liked it quite a bit um yeah so for me um i'm gonna this makes it sound like i didn't i don't like it that much it grew on me as it was on um some of it i found really quite annoying some of it I found really endearing. Some of it is genuinely really funny. And, like, the writing is smart and it kind of it, it gets what it's doing. Um, but, like, what does that equate to overall? I don't really know. Where it's, like, there's worse ways to spend 90 minutes for sure. Especially if you're, like, a big Scoob fan. There's some funny one-liners. There's some good, you know, classic sort of family movie stuff, but you're right. Something feels off in, in terms of like the scale of the movie. Um, cause the scale is very big. And as they joke mm-hmm. in the movie, you're kind of used to the, the gang tackling, um, a, a begrudged real estate developer with a lot of flashlights and not really, um, hell portals. um, and I think that superhero edge, I, I had a note that was something to the effect of, is this just here because superhero movies proliferate the zeitgeist right now so hard that kids just sort of expect that to be in the movie? Like, is that the reason it's here? Because um, it's got everything from the, the, the clean, sleek tech to the cool gadgets to the gearing up scene to the big laser shooting into the sky um and the big villain uh who's got like an army of evil things um it's really checking all of those boxes which um it's fine for like an update because i understand it's bringing the franchise to what's more relevant right now especially for that younger audience but like it just felt like a bit much it felt like it was swinging kind of high and i didn't i didn't really want that i would have liked the scale i think to be a bit smaller i do think that despite that because i do think the reason it's it's there um or the reason it's structured the way that it is with like um i mean the mcguffin just needing to get mcguffins is kind of a usual thing but like the superhero flair to it it's at least self-conscious of it but i do think it's there just because they're so common now that kids can connect with that really easily probably at this point because it it's it's very familiar and that's fine um it's not really what i'm looking for but you know whatever and uh, i think there's enough going on with little things that make me laugh or callbacks or just like one-off lines um and obviously there's some stuff that i think is like really on point like um i never in a million years would have expected to hear the phrase like large adult son in this movie so the fact that they just called Brian that and that he is like a guy 
who doesn't want to take on responsibility for anything and lives in the shadow of someone who actually made like accomplishments and then takes all of the credit for work being done by people below him that don't get credit and are marginalized. That feels pretty true to life. One point Scooby-Doo movie. <laughs> it's weird because like it, it grew on me and um, visually I think it's pretty interesting. There's some good, cool stuff going on that makes it feel really kinetic with like camera moves. Um, well, quote unquote camera moves, I guess, like little things and flourishes. The designs grew on me a lot. Um, but it all kind of equates to something I think was just fine. I'm with you with the scale of it. Um, I think it was it was the moment that the robots showed up in the bowling alley where I realized that this was going to be a bigger movie and that the villains were uh, really going to be out there and we were going to be going to some more complex places than I thought we were after the uh the haunted house beginning and i think the scale of it and the superhero band is absolutely just um where we are right now with kids and what they like to see in media the spongebob movie the second one from about 2015 did the same thing where the last 30 minutes is a superhero movie with cg that um the characters look a lot like the characters from Scoob. Um, and I think that's just because superheroes are in. That's what all the marketing was, was the SpongeBob characters in their superhero costumes and doing superhero things. Does SpongeBob turn and into that guy that runs fast again? He doesn't, no. Motherfucker. That would have been sick, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, it no, would have no. been. You know what? Corey hates it. Fuck that movie. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, and so, yeah, Clancy I think Brown that, strikes again, but literally because <laughs> Mr. Krabs, I get it, man. I got you. Um, and so I, I do Liam think Liam likes it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're giggling too much, Corey. A sea dogs have got the, the giggles. <laughs> we have a button for that too. <laughs> We're getting the hang of this. Okay. Expectations um, exceeded. <laughs> We need we need another we need another one of these soundboards, dude. Please make another one. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the movie was it was bigger than I probably wanted it to be because the stuff that's gonna stick with me from this movie are the much smaller moments, um, the dialogue, not just from the Scooby Gang, but from Blue Falcon and. Uh, some of the other new characters in this movie I, I liked a lot of that but in terms of the big action set pieces i don't think any of those are going to hit me like some of the stuff in zombie island you know because zombie island appeals to my horror sensibilities whereas this isn't really the sort of thing i'm into the action superhero movie and so that stuff wasn't necessary for me and it didn't make me like the movie anymore but i do think it'll make kids like this movie a whole lot more and i think, I think kids are gonna love this movie same and that makes me like it more i i get it because it, it does play to a kid's sensibilities basically throughout the whole thing there's lots of pop songs um lots of uh big bright colors um which a i lot like of, the palettes a lot of fun yeah Totally, totally. A lot of action. And then the smaller moments as well, the dialogue stuff, I think that'll stick with kids as well because um, a lot of the movies that I loved as a kid, there are certain quotes in there that just kind of stick with you for life, you know? Um, even if you don't quite know what they mean or yeah. if you don't understand do you them, mean, they just... Do you mean like the comedy lines or do you mean like the stuff about the value of friendship? 
Comedy lines. Okay. Yeah, comedy lines for sure. <laughs> but but I think the friendship stuff ties it all together really nicely. I don't think that hurts. And so I think that this movie will really play well to kids. And I, I think it's actually pretty admirable that they were able to pull off a movie that uses these characters that really everyone is familiar with. I think even the kids who this is their first introduction to what Scooby-Doo, like a Scooby-Doo property, they'll probably kind of know what Scooby-Doo is before they watch it. They'll know the name or they'll know the image. And so I think it's cool that they took a property that everyone knows and are appealing, making it appeal to kids nowadays because it is a kid's property, but they also put enough stuff in there that adults can have fun with it. You can tell that this was written by adults that aren't just trying to appeal to lowest common denominator, but also are trying to make a movie that will engage the main audience that it's for, which is the kids. So altogether, for me as an adult, it makes a solid like six out of 10 movie that that is is fun and I had fun watching it. Yeah, I think... um I think it's also got a lot of lines that are the kinds of thing that kids will laugh at without really getting it. And then parents will laugh because it's just kind of funny. Um, I was very caught out by the fact that at the very beginning, Velma's Halloween costume is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which feels like a very, that feels like a joke mostly for people that spend a lot of time on a very particular part of Twitter <laughs> Um, where she is like revered as a god largely because she is like the one thing standing on the Supreme Court that keeps that from becoming a, a worse time than it already is in the United States. Uh, which yeah. I'm going to phrase that way just because we don't need to get into that. <laughs> but um, like bits like that, I think, are weird. Uh, but like they, they made me laugh. Um, the fact that the hair from Dick Dastardly had trace amounts of mustache oil and 12-year-old scotch, and Daphne goes, ugh, is this bad guy my dad? Yeah, I wrote the same. I wrote that joke down, that one. I paused it and rewinded it to hear the joke again. Yeah, there was a whole section in there where they they were just rattling stuff off. How do you know so much about superheroes and so little about the metric system? Because I'm an American man? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that shit is fucking funny. And then there was a joke about how we thought Tinder was an app for <laughs> delivering wood. For delivering firewood. And about how Anonymous isn't just one person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brian, you think Anonymous is like just a guy who goes by Anonymous? Yeah, and then there was, there was also one where uh, Velma is doing some high-tech talk and Fred says, good thing I'm the tank because I don't understand any of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, I'm thinking too of things like Shaggy can't get a superhero suit when him and Scoob are kind of having their differences because people aren't really giving Shaggy the credit and they realize that Scooby-Doo is really important to this prophecy related to being a descendant of Alexander the Great's dog um and letting out cerberus and all this shit that honestly we don't really need to get into because the plot's fairly straightforward but um blue falcon in in a very fail son of a rich person in a prominent figure kind of way says here is um here's a gift basket with uh blue falcon resistance bands uh my my father's memoir no falcon around and my follow-up just falcon around (laughs) And he's, like, on a beach (laughs) drinking a margarita, like, doing the hang loose shit. And I'm just like, I like that. 
the fucking bit where he has a really prominent big intro where Dee's like oh we're doing this shit again and then he dabs and it's terrible and keith fucks up the timing on the balloons like yes i'm into that shit i don't know um, yeah yeah and dick and dastardly calls lo- fred a poor man's hemsworth and fred asks for clarification on which hemsworth he's talking about exactly dude so that's what i mean when i say that i liked the uh references to modern day pop culture and also the ones that seem like they're for kids um like the dabbing thing it 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 came across to me as like kids will recognize it because it's a dab but then the adults will adult. recognize that he's a giant fail son man and he's dabbing as an adult. Yes, yes. And I felt that way for most of um, the stuff that might come off as like cringy or pandering. It didn't feel that way to me. It felt like it was uh, not not like a critique on modern day pop culture, but also like it's it kind of knows how. Is. Yeah, it knows that it's kind of oh, silly fuck. and ridiculous. Liam. There's yeah. a reference to a movie we've talked about on this podcast at the end. Do you remember? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm going to start describing the end of the movie and I'll just see if it clicks. Actually, yeah. uh, to do that, I need to adequately set up the, the worst possible character introduction in the history of cinema. Yeah, I think I'm, I know where I'm you're gonna going I'm going to back up this. from the mic because I have to... I'm going to take my headphones off and back up really far. Liam, do I sound far away? Yeah. Is this going to hit yep okay uh three two one why the fuck is simon cowell in this movie who is that for do you want me to answer it would be great if you could figure it out because i certainly fucking can't <laughs> yeah i don't have an answer but Kids i wasn't sure if it was rhetorical like okay he's on which one like the x talent america's well, got on- the x factor <laughs> what the fuck does he do um do is that a popular enough show that children know who simon cowell is yes i will say that with almost 100 percent certainty that show is so huge on youtube when people post the auditions and they go viral that kids will absolutely know simon cowell from that um but like would a kid be excited to see simon cowell no, but I think they they wouldn't be excited because it's like a celebrity cameo. But they would just they would know they would know the kind who of character is. he's supposed to be. They're like, to be, oh, it's they, Simon Cowell, and so they would understand that conversation a bit more. I think. Um, Keiki said he's not here because I was going to ask him to explain what I did, but he will provide written testimony that I paused. I have it in front of me. I. Oh, did he send a written testimony? I have a written testimony. He already sent it. Holy shit. So, what did I do when Simon Cowell appeared, Liam? Well, here's the thing. Our friend Keiki, friend of the podcast and friend of our lives, was a bit more vague as to uh, Corey's feelings on this movie. And I did not anticipate that Corey would like this movie basically the same way I did, which is what I'm gathering. So, I was going to ask you about this a little bit later in the podcast, Corey, because... Yeah, we could ask. Um, just ask me now. We're here. Yeah. You said that the movie grew on you. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering, at what point exactly did that happen? And what happened before the movie grew on you? Because it sounds to me like a lot happened before you gave the movie a chance to grow on you. Um, I think, from it, what Kate yeah, told I me. think now I like more of it than I did while watching it. Um, like hmm. I said, I did not like the beginning. <laughs> um, I kind of I liked the haunted house bit, but I did not like the stuff before that. 
And also, like, um, maybe this is my own memory failing me. It felt like Scooby was talking way too much. Like, I didn't realize he would speak in paragraphs. That was kind of weird. And also him saying lines like, I've never heard a bed before. It's like, dude, fucking stop. Like, I get it. You're laying it on a little thick. Um, and then uh, Simon Cowell just sort of arrives unannounced because they need money. And I hated that more than I've hated pretty much anything in the world. Um, and at that point, it was hitting like really familiar, really boring kind of plot beats. And I didn't really know where it was going. And then once we got to like the superhero plot mixed with the like trying to get Shaggy and Scooby back, like it slowly sort of ramped back up from there. But I had to sort of give it a bit of time to like see what it was actually going to do with this material. But I think it's mostly that it started off on a really bad foot initially. So it kind of had to earn my trust. Wow, that's really interesting. My guess would that be would be that most people would feel the opposite. I think that people will if, if the detractors of this movie will like the first 15 minutes or so before we get to the robot superhero stuff and then I think people who are huge fans of Scooby-Doo will be lost and um yeah. so it's cool that the movie ended up working on you by the end and I think that that just speaks to uh um a lot of the small jokes in here that really do wonders for keeping you in there. And personally, I didn't, I didn't experience that shift because I thought that those small jokes were kind of, I was, I was able to clue into them from the very beginning. And Simon Cowell made sense to me just because I understood that Simon Cowell, uh, is like a, a really critical businessman. And so like, it made sense for him to be in that scene for me. No, it didn't. It didn't make sense. What? What? In what universe does Simon Cowell fund mystery hunting? This one. It's fiction. He right. doesn't do that for real. Right, but you gotta you gotta extend your imagination. I don't wanna, cause I don't like Simon there's Cowell. A, there's a fictional movie where like Mark Wahlberg didn't beat up a man on the side of the street, but instead is the voice of Blue Falcon. Yeah. It's a different world. I mean, but the problem is there's, I mean, Mark Wahlberg's both of those things in our reality, though. He is the voice of Blue Falcon, <laughs> and he is also that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, we don't, we don't know what, how Simon Cowell gets all his money. Maybe he is funding Mystery Inc. Yeah, fucking, uh, what's that guy, Zach Baggins? Is that the guy's name? Who does those, like, ghost, yeah. ghost hunting shows? Are you saying, yeah, am I right? No, I've never heard tell oh, of Zach fuck. Baggins. Well, if I'm right, all my Zach Baggins fans sound off. Uh, he probably gets money from Simon Cowell. Anyway, um, another funny note that I'm just seeing here is when they're in the bowling alley trying to find out what happened. And the bowling alley employees like, I can't help but assume if their friends were here, they wouldn't have been kidnapped. I bet their friends are like racked with guilt about not being here to help their friends in their early time of need. Like just really fucking going off. Yeah, I thought I thought she was so funny uh that character every, every line she said was basically just clever dry verbal humor you know that that's the stuff that really worked for me in yeah, this movie and, and so it, she was great yeah it's weird though because i'm thinking about like talking about the rest of the movie but like the trajectory is very familiar like there's not really a lot for us to touch on unless we want to highlight like specific scenes 
but like it's gonna do a lot of what you think this movie's gonna do do you know what i mean when i say that like the wheels not being reinvented totally yeah which is why that the movie it ends up just being an enjoyable movie for the time i watched it and it'll be more for kids but not for us because really my notes are just jokes that made me laugh yeah but besides that's that what i honed movie, in on the movie doesn't go the extra mile to really blow me away um because probably because um of the uh the bigger scope and the superhero stuff because if it had been a bit spookier just because that's my sensibilities i might have clocked into it a bit more but um yeah in terms of the trajectory it, it is a pretty standard kids movie which is also why i, I kind of have some respect for it because i just i think kids will be super into this one yeah so like, i don't think we need to like rattle off set pieces or scenes i don't think there's a ton of value in that um because like there's like the fucking carnival thing and the they get duped because brian won't let his fucking subordinates who are clearly more equipped for this and know what they're doing be in charge because he's got a complex or something um and then they get like kidnapped onto dick dastardly ship which is full of uh tiny adorable robots and uh the only other scene i am going to pinpoint uh is that daphne helping the the little the little robot with a vacuum for a head who gets horribly abused by dick dastardly getting all the dust out of there because he was sneezing and his arms were shooting out and then they just hug and it's nice that was cute as fuck i was losing my mind at how fucking cute that was <laughs> that was very nice but um yeah it was i think i think the big thing to touch on that we haven't yet and honestly probably the last thing um because we sort of touched on like the music's got some interesting stuff going on it's got like the pop song stuff that you would expect and also some interesting like um junkie xl is doing or tom hulkenberg because he's not using his like other name for this is like doing some interesting kind of synth stuff to really accentuate the futuristicness of the superhero bits um but i guess visually because it's animated and we haven't really gone super into that and we're not animators or professionals in any real way but um the designs work I, I like them. We talked about how the uh, the palette is really colorful and compelling, I think, especially at the end, not just with like the uh, tropical bit, but also um, just like the purple sky, green lasers looking like fucking Outworld from Mortal Kombat. Fucking um, it's it's bright and like accessible, though, like it's not overwhelming or like saccharine in the way it looks. And um a lot of the action is like really kinetic, both with like how the characters are moving. It's very like fluid and interesting, but also there's like little camera movements that sort of accentuate the action that's going on, not in a way that's distracting, but in a way that you just kind of see a lot in movies now. So it feels like it should be there. So I think visually it's, it's very competent and very visually pleasant. And it'll certainly keep a kid like locked in. I think it would be hard to distract a kid from this. Yeah, I I think so too, man. I think um it it does it looks really nice. Um and I think that it's if people were to complain about this, um I would just like ask if Pixar is still doing it for them because while Scoob is 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 not reinventing the wheel in terms of animation, like it's not uh it it's it it kind of does look like um peanuts movie angry birds movie something like that um pixar movies have kind of locked into this aesthetic and and they're doing that again and again because it it just works and it looks cool and so i think that this 
does exactly what it needs to do and it looks nice. I think it's cool that it's um, a bit different from, I mean, a lot different from the 2D stuff that was done back in the day um, because I, I think this movie absolutely would not have worked had it been that 2D animation. And I also don't think that that 2D animation with that sort of story, um, the more classic Scooby-Doo thing, I don't think that really has a place on the big screen. I think I think that's the reason that that stuff comes out um, on video. It's I think it's more accessible to kids. It's uh, cheaper so they can get more of them out and tell more stories. So I think it makes sense that your big animated Scooby-Doo movie um, is looking 3D and looks soft and bright and fun. And uh, it totally worked for me. I had no problems with the animation at all. Yeah, even if it doesn't set up a sequel, which it may well get, and I think they've established interesting enough side characters um, with Blue Falcon, D, and Dynamut and all that, and they can expand out if they so chose that um they very well could do that but i could see this setting up a tv show <laughs> um maybe not in the exact style like you're saying but like in the continuity i could see that for sure if that's something they were trying to do um which why wouldn't they be because this is something that's had that happen a million times um but i guess like overall it's it's doing exactly what it ought to be doing more or less the way it ought to be doing it <laughs> Which yeah, is maybe not yeah. the most exciting thing to describe a movie as being, but like, it's the truth. Yeah, yeah. This is it's nowhere near as bad as it could have been, as uh, some animated movies are nowadays. Um, I think I would compare this to um, uh, the the movie adaptation of goosebumps that came out about five years ago where it's uh it's appealing to the new generation of kids and the type of movie that kids nowadays are familiar with while also having enough in there to make adults parents and fans of the original property um kind of smile and if you're okay to get down with that and sort of let go of what you exactly know the series to be and you can give it into someone else's hands into another generation then i think this one uh works quite as well um though i do have one one thing that i i I would have liked if the movie had strayed a bit further from the source material in this regard or at least changed up um some part of the movie to make it fit more. Um, and that would be Shaggy's character. I thought that Shaggy's character as um, in the present day was too much like we know him to be because it didn't jive with that first 15 minutes. I don't really understand how that kid from the first 15 minutes of the movie became this Shaggy. I think it would have been more fun if they had either changed the younger shaggy and given him a bit more personality besides just like innocent uh lonely kid and given him some flavor uh, there i mean or they should have um maybe put a bit more in the middle as to how shaggy becomes the kind of like peculiar dude he is now because they they didn't seem like the same character to me and the opening made it seem like this was going to be a bit of a different take on on the characters themselves, whereas it ended up being a different take on um, 
what the characters are experiencing, but in terms of the characters, I thought they were all pretty much what we know them to be. Fred, Daphne, Velma, I thought those were all familiar and made sense. And I thought that Shaggy was a bit too familiar based on how the movie started. I mean, I guess the rebuttal would be Shaggy was the lonely, innocent kid who didn't have a ton of flair because he literally didn't have friends or like anything. So I think having him have that little going on initially, A, uh, adds emotional impact to meeting Scooby-Doo and the Mystery Inc. gang. And also the implication would be that, like, I don't know, he probably grew into his personality once he actually felt comfortable around, like, other people and, like, grew up and had experiences. (laughs) That's kind of the vibe I'm getting is that, you know, you probably get out of your shell a bit more now that you have friends. Yeah, yeah, and and totally fair. I mean, there's going to be plenty of 20-some-year-olds I know that if I saw them, uh, like during one afternoon in their life at 10 years old, I would be like, that's not you. That doesn't make sense. Let's just say I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't have had a podcast at 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but when you're putting them right beside each other in this movie like it is, it kind of did make me raise an eyebrow a bit. But uh, that's just, that's one thing yeah, I thought of. Fine. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take away from much of the movie at all. Like I said, this is a solid six out of 10 and it's a fun movie. Yeah. You know, if you like Scooby-Doo, watch it. It's it's not a huge time commitment, and you'll get some fun out of it. That's yeah, Corey, pretty, that's well, pretty much it. Why don't we Why don't we close out the show with uh, um, Cakey's words, his testimony, okay, that he sent for the show, and because I think as as oh, good okay, as I guess job, I guess I never finished explaining that, but yeah, I'll let yeah, him that's go right, first. Yeah, as good a job as we did. Uh, uh, as you did expressing yourself maybe cakey can do it for you a little bit here please so our friend of the show cakey he sent me a message he says testimony for you to read during the show and to remind the listeners cakey does live with Corey, so he was around when Corey watched this movie testimony for you to read during the show watching scoob seems to have deeply affected Corey, and you shouldn't have made him do it <laughs> You couldn't have known, but in the future, you should be more sensitive to his needs. Nobody should ever have to go through what Corey went through last night. So you can understand. He got really dramatic in a way I wasn't expecting. Well, (laughs) see, that's so I have to ask you, Corey, how dramatic were you being around Cakey last night? Very, very, very. That's kind of your brand. And so uh, I literally I said to him. Obviously, part of this over is overreaction because that's funnier. I literally said that because <laughs> I'm aware of that. But also, the needle drop at the beginning immediately rubbed me so wrong. I paused the movie and yelled about it. And then wow. the Simon Cowell thing also made me pause the movie and yell a lot. Uh, but part of that's playing it up because it's fun to have fun with your friends. Um, and then the rest of the movie kind of grew on me, so I'm sort of able to ignore that. But I really didn't like the beginning of the movie for those two specific reasons, especially. So I could see why he would. I could see why he would phrase it that way. Yeah. So Cakey needs to listen to this episode to know that uh, I survived. You didn't find Scoob because he seems to be under the impression, and I was under the impression going into this episode that we were going to have another return to sleepaway camp situation, where like I was gonna. <laughs> End a movie that you absolutely hate yeah no happen. he laid it on a little thick you know granted I mean? so did i so that's that's sort of where we get that but yeah no it was yeah. a 
you know what? In the in the immortal words of me coming out of somebody else's mouth. Well, you can't say that wasn't a movie. That's true. That's it. That's it. Um, all right. So that's Scoob. That's uh, episode two of season two. That's animated movie number two. Uh, if listeners are anything like us, you might forget that we talked about Toy Story 4, <laughs> which we did. So this is, uh, this is our second kick at that can. And um, no doubt we will try to get to a few more of those in the future, but I guess we'll have to see. Oh, um, Scoob also has a good joke about toxic masculinity. And that's something that comes up a lot on the podcast. And yes, I did just want an excuse to push that button, but um, they make a direct joke about it. And it's something we deal with, I would say, too much, just like most people probably have to deal with that too much. Um, But I think that's about all we got for Scoob. So uh, to make sure my laptop doesn't disintegrate into ash and flames uh, with all of these things running at the same time, I'm going to say thank you all once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another all one word and on Letterboxd at TMAO, which is not up to date, but it will be someday. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at TMAOPodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and your thoughts about Matthew Lillard. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Custom-made soundboard clips are courtesy of Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. Yeah, we'll catch you next time for some more. They made another one? Who could it be? You have to tune in to find out. I don't know why I'm doing this voice. Is it October already? Ooh. Scary.